0: If it's possible, I'd love you to keep that passage open in front of you for a few minutes while we have a think about it together this morning. Uh, And we're going to do that with the help of of four different questions that uh, will just help us to think about some of the things which are in this Bible reading. First of all, what does it mean to go home justified? Um, I wonder, you don't have to put your hands up for this one because it might be sensitive, if any of you have ever been to court for a trial. Um, I'm, I'm aware that um, you, there are different roles that you may have played in a trial if you go to court and you don't have to confess which one you've played here this morning. But just imagine the scene for a moment. If you've not been, you'll have seen it on TV, won't you? Uh, you might be thinking of a, of a judge wearing a wig you know, with a, with a gavel uh, in their hand, sitting behind a bench. Uh, the courts in first century Israel were somewhat different to the kind of courts that we have today, but some things were the same. There was no jury, but there was a judge whose job it was to decide on the rights and wrongs of the case. Um, let's just imagine for a moment that Rob um, has accused Chris of stealing his bike. Um, hard to imagine, but, but there you are. Uh, and uh, Chris says he didn't do it. And so they both end up in court and they go in front of the, ju- of the judge. Rob makes his case. He says, Chris has stolen my bike. He presents the evidence that he has. Um, He he perhaps calls witnesses. He gets Lydia to appear as a witness. Uh, And Lydia says, yes, I have seen Chris riding Rob's bike. Um, But then, of course, Chris gets his turn, doesn't he? And he gets to present um, his case that that he has not stolen Rob's bike. And and he presents his evidence. In fact, um, Rosemary appears in court for Chris. And uh, she says, it can't have been Chris because I was having a cup of tea with him. On that afternoon in Leicester, it's not possible that he did it. I mean, you get the picture, don't you? The point is this. In the end, the judge has to make a call, doesn't he, based on the evidence that has been seen. It comes down to the judge to decide, and there are two options. Uh, The judge can decide, first of all, that Chris is guilty of stealing the bike, in which case uh, Rob has been vindicated. We might say he's been justified. He is the one who has been declared righteous in this matter. Or, on the other hand, the judge could decide that on the basis of the evidence, the bike was not stolen by Chris, whatever has happened to it, in which case it is Chris who is justified and who has been declared righteous. Now, we need to understand this if we want to make sense of our passage, our reading this morning in Luke chapter 18. And in particular, when Jesus speaks of righteousness in verse 9 there, and then a little bit lower down in verse 14 of being justified. But we need to understand he's speaking about the same thing. In English, we use those words quite differently in, in lots of ways, don't we? When we talk about someone being righteous, we're, usually, we're talking kind of them about um, them being good, morally good, aren't we? Whereas if we talk about someone being just, it's kind of more about fairness. If someone is justified, we're saying, well, they've got reasons for what they did. But when you see these words in your Bible, whether it's just or justified or righteous or righteousness, it is helpful to know that they are all coming from the same root in the language that it was written in uh, together. It's the same idea behind them. And the idea is about what happens in a court of law. It's about standing before God, who in the end is the judge of all things. And it's about how you might be justified by God or how you might be declared righteous so verse 9 to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else jesus told this parable jesus has some some words for the self confidence this morning And as he tells the story, which of the two men can expect to be justified, to be counted righteous before God the judge? Well, the shock answer comes in verse 14. It is the tax collector and not the Pharisee. So question two, that's question three. Question two, what makes the tax collector a better example than the Pharisee? And the answer is essentially that his prayer is all about depending on God not on himself. So here's the parable, verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, in other words, a religious leader. He would have been respectable and respected, someone with some status. Uh, People would have looked up to him uh, and he would have been regarded probably as a good man. The other a tax collector, basically a collaborator, someone who colluded with the occupying Romans and was probably hated by his fellow people. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. It all sounds very impressive, doesn't it? And of course, those are all good things that he says he does. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Okay, what's wrong with what the Pharisee said? What is wrong with it? I want to say, actually, his prayer starts off really well. Um, The first five words of what the Pharisee prays is great. They're exactly how we should begin our prayers, I reckon. Have a look at what he says. He says, God, I thank you that. That's a good start, isn't it? That could be the beginning of a psalm or something that you might read. Nothing wrong with starting your prayers like that. He starts with gratitude to God. But It all goes wrong with his sixth word, doesn't it? What should this Pharisee have prayed at the beginning? God, I thank you that you. Should have been the next word, shouldn't it? But look at what he actually says. God, I thank you that I am not like this tax collector, not like other people, not like those sinners. I'm good. I fast. I give my money. His huge mistake, and and his really common mistake, it's still a common mistake, is that he thinks being justified is all about him, what he does, his good deeds, how religious he is. No doubt he was a good guy. May well have been generous, well-liked, respected. But he's so confident in himself, he doesn't think of asking God to help him. And so his whole relationship with God is kind of turned upside down. It's a sad story. But then we come to this tax collector uh, who's far from perfect, but he knows he's far from perfect. And so his prayer is not, thank you, Lord, that I'm such a great guy. His prayer is, help me, Lord, because I can't do it. he understands the most important thing. He prays a prayer that is not about himself. It's God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What is it about this tax collector that makes him a good example? Essentially, it's his humility, isn't it? Uh, By which I don't mean his focus is all on how terrible he is. It's that his focus is on God and not himself. So here's the third thing which this passage helps us to think about. The answer to that big question, which we may not think about very often, but we ought to. Where is justification before God? Where is righteousness to be found? And the answer is neither in low self-esteem, putting ourselves down and thinking ourselves valueless, nor in high self-confidence, thinking it's all right. I'm a good person. I've got this. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I spent a day at Lawn Abbey on a, a quiet retreat day uh, with a few members of the staff team from here at St Luke's. Uh, it was led by Bishop Sadhu, who I know some of you will know. And he gave us this book to read by someone called Timothy Keller. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, The Path to True Christian Joy. Sounds worth a look, doesn't it? And uh, the bonus of it is it's only 44 pages long, small pages, big writing, so you can read it in about half an hour or or 40 minutes or so. Uh, It was a really helpful book to read. Tim Keller points out that for much of human history, people assumed that the root cause of most human evil in the world was people having too high an opinion of themselves. The trouble started when people got too proud Whereas, he points out, over the last hundred years or so, in our modern culture, that's been flipped around completely. And we often assume these days that the root cause of many of the the, the evils of society and the problems that we face is having too low a self-esteem, too low a view of ourselves. There's a great quote in here from Madonna about how, despite all her talent and creativity and all her success... She speaks about constantly feeling the need to prove herself. And it's something which just never goes away. But Tim Keller's conclusion, and he quotes some research to back this up, is that both of these assumptions are wrong. That Christianity offers us a better way. It's not about trying to burst the bubble of our overconfidence. Neither is it just about trying to increase our self-esteem and make us feel better about ourselves. No, he says, what we need is humility. And he says, humility, which is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself, but humility, which is just thinking about myself less. We need, he says, a completely different approach to how we see ourselves. One which is not based on how we judge ourselves, nor on how anyone else judges us either. Uh, And he quotes from these verses in Uh, Another book of the Bible, the first letter to the Corinthians, which the Apostle Paul wrote. Where Paul says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Back in the court, see? Indeed, I do not even judge myself. It's as if Paul is saying, I don't care what you think, but neither do I care what I think. He's saying, I have a very low opinion of your opinion of me. But I've also got a very low opinion of my own opinion." of me. The Christian gospel approach Keller says is is not to be either self-loving or self-hating. Don't get caught up in that with constantly analyzing how well you're doing whether it's good or bad. It's to be self-forgetful and so not bothered by criticism and also not puffed up when you get praised and people say well done. Imagine managing to be like that. How is it possible? Uh, Well, it's possible in Jesus Christ, because in the very next verse, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Paul says, My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. He's saying even if he has a clear conscience, that doesn't justify him. After all, our consciences can lie. We often can't trust our conscience any more than he trusts other people's. No, what Paul is looking for, what Madonna is looking for, and in fact, what all of us are really looking for, is someone who can give an ultimate verdict on our lives. Someone who can give a judgment about our worth, about where we stand. Are we valuable? Do we matter? In the end, will we be declared righteous? Every day we're tossed on the waves of our our own self-esteem, aren't we? Feeling up or down because we think we've succeeded or we think we've failed. Or because people like us and tell us nice things, or because they criticise us and judge us. But Paul says he's found the secret, and it's there in verse 4. It's the Lord who judges me. And we're back in the law court where our parable is set. I've got a pile of these little books, by the way. They're only 44 pages long. I'll put them at the back. If you've got half an hour and would like one, please take one. I think they're really helpful. What St. Paul says, and Jesus agrees, is that it's only God's opinion, God's judgment, that counts. Back in Luke 18, what's the problem with that Pharisee? Well, there he is. He's listing all the things he's done, good things, but he's desperately trying to prove himself. The Pharisee is just like Madonna. I mean, what an irony that is when you stop to think about it. He's also like you and me, though, isn't he? Assessing who he is, presenting his worth, wondering, have I done enough, worrying. Whereas the tax collector brings nothing of himself. He's got nothing to offer. But he knows it's not about what he is like. It's all about the only one who can give that ultimate judgment that ultimate validation, it's about God. And he says, God, have mercy on me. And in the end, that's the key. What is it that makes Christianity different to all other religions? One of the reasons which makes me most happy about being a Christian, and there's a whole bunch of reasons, but one of them is that it's not a performance-based religion. It's not about how well you think you've done or how well I think you've done. It's just this. When you believe in Jesus, God says, this is my son, with him I am well pleased. That's the verdict on Jesus. The Father is pleased with him. And what is true of Jesus is also true of everyone who belongs to him by faith. That is how the Father looks at you too. Which is why in another one of his letters, Paul can say in that really famous verse, There is therefore now no condemnation. Who for? For those who go to church? No. For those who do well in life? No. He says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's all that counts. And when that is true, I am freed to live my life differently. Uh, To seek to live well to seek to follow Jesus, but not because I'm desperately trying to reach some kind of standard, but because I've been justified. The judge has declared in my favour in the court and called me righteous, not because of what I've done or what I've managed not to do, but because he has mercy on sinners who repent and come to him in faith through his son. And so I can walk out of the courtroom no longer on trial, and so can you in Christ. In him we are free to live on the basis of who he says we are. And his is the only judgment that counts. That's good news, isn't it? It really is good news. And so let's finish by just returning to our text in Luke 18 and asking once again, why was it that Jesus said this? Why did he tell this parable? Back to verse 9. Luke tells us that Jesus told the parable to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. So Jesus doesn't primarily tell it to teach us about God's mercy, although he does that too along the way, wonderfully. Primarily, he tells it to warn people not to be complacent. Don't think you don't need God's mercy. And that's a good warning for us today too, isn't it? And whatever we do, let's not respond to Jesus' words this morning by praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like the Pharisee in this parable. How easy it is to do that. Or thank you that I'm not like my neighbour who really gets on my wick, or my colleague who is not nice to me, or whoever you might think of. Lord, thank you that I go to church, that I've been baptised, that I give to charity. Very easy to fall into the trap of doing just what the Pharisee did. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, Jesus told this parable. We all need the mercy of God, which thankfully is freely available to us through Jesus if we want to go away justified. So returning to the courtroom one last time, I want to say in the end, it all boils down to this. Who are you going to call as your witness? It's a straight choice in the end. You can call yourself or you can call Jesus. It's not much of a contest, is it? Jesus is the one who speaks for us. He is the one who says to us, come as you are. He doesn't, by the way, say come as you are and just stay as you are. Uh, Sometimes that can be the the message which is heard in the church, but that's only half the gospel. To come as we are and not be changed is is just a different form of pride uh, and self-confidence. Whereas Jesus' approach time and again in the gospels, as he encounters people, is to meet them where they are, love them where they are, and not leave them where they are, but call them to follow him and find hope and faith. We'll see an example of that in chapter 18 next week. But look, he finishes verse 14 by saying, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified. Why is it? Because he's the one who doesn't stay as he is. He's not proud. He repents. He says, forgive me. And he finds mercy and is declared righteous. This man went home justified. When we stop to think about it, they must be some of the most comforting words in the New Testament, I reckon. This man who has made all kinds of mistakes and who knows his mistakes, like many of us know our mistakes. He comes to God and asks for mercy and he gets it. The judge finds in his favour. So there we are. Um, If you think... You deserve to be welcome in God's kingdom, remember, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on others, Jesus told this parable. But if you struggle with your self-esteem, if that is more like you, and you often find yourself feeling as though you have little worth, and all you can manage pretty much is, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Remember, as you stand in God's courtroom, The father glances at the son who smiles and nods and says, yes, she belongs to me. He's one of mine. Whichever character you are most like here, whether you are one of those who contend towards overconfidence in yourself or whether you are seriously lacking in self-esteem, which will be some of us this morning, stop looking at yourself and look at Jesus. We all come to him as sinners, whether we recognize it or not. And Jesus receives all those who turn to him as daughters and sons, loved by him. That is who we are because that is who he says we are. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves before him will be exalted. Well, we're going to sing and give thanks to God about those things now. So, while the band just get ready for us, I'm going to lead us in a prayer for a moment. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, that your love is so great for the people you have made, that you sent your Son, that all those who believe in him may have eternal life. Thank you that in Jesus we are justified, declared righteous counted as your children included in your kingdom as people who know your love. So Lord, would you protect us from the danger of overconfidence in our own abilities uh, when we need to be brought down? But would you also reassure us with the depth of your love when we feel we have no value? Thank you that in Jesus Christ We are valued not because of what we have done, but because of who you say we are. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen.